Lasso. So this morning we go to the third phase of mindfulness of breathing. I thought it might be helpful to re-emphasize the kind of the Russian doll, one doll approach, uh, encompassing the other, in terms of settling the body, speech, and mind in their natural states. Bearing in mind that each of these entails a certain balance or kind of a middle way, settling the body in its natural state, three qualities, imperative, relaxed, still, and vigilant, balance between relaxation and, and vigilance. If the body is not settled in its natural state, the respiration will not flow in its natural rhythm. Because there will be some constriction there, some forcing something, it'll be out of alignment, it'll be not feasible. And so settling this inner commentary, the inner voice in its natural state of effortless silence, by way of settling the respiration in its natural rhythm, effortless and unimpeded, well, that will occur if and only if the body is settled in its natural state. And then likewise for settling the mind in its natural state, relaxed, still, and clear, that will occur if and only if the respiration is settled in its natural rhythm. If the respiration is labored, if it's constrained, if it's forced, the mind won't settle. And the reason for that is very simple. This is not just mystical or kind of some dogma. Is the breathing is so tied in with the nervous system and the prana system that if the breathing is, is, is rough, if it's not settling, then the mind, which is so closely related to the prana, as is the breathing, that also won't settle. So there's a base of the body, and then the breathing, and then the mind. And it's the role of introspection in all of the practice that we're doing to periodically, as needed, check up on the body, check up on the respiration, check up on the mind to see that they continue to be in their state of balance. So mindfulness, we're trying to maintain as much continuity as possible just on the object of mindfulness. But introspection needs introspection is not just checking up, checking up in the mind, laxity and excitation, checking up on all three from the, from the bottom up. Yeah? So that's a little microcosm. Uh, maybe I'm going to try to confine this to about like four minutes. Macrocosm. And that is if we look at the, the really the core principles of the Buddha Dharma, and they, they do, there's a lot of agreement here, Four Noble Truths, Reality of Suffering, Three Levels, Latent, Suffering of Change, Ubiquitous Suffering, the nature of the causes of suffering, really the three, the three poisons, essentially, but then tied in with that karma, this brings in then the, the coarse level of mind, the subtle le level of mind. That both of these are very integral. These are indispensable elements of Buddhism. If you want to throw those out, you can, but you, you don't have any Buddhism left. You just gutted it. And then the, the truth of the cessation of suffering then taps into the deepest dimension of consciousness, primordial consciousness, unconditioned consciousness. If you don't have that, then Buddhism just got torpedoed. And then the truth of the path, ethics, samadhi, and wisdom. If you don't have that, then once again, you don't have Buddhism. So there's certain elements, if you take it out, then Buddhism is just torpedoed, like a ship that just got, got one right in the middle, and it's breaking apart, and there's just no way it's a ship anymore. It's wreckage. And if you take out any of these elements, you have wreckage. So to my mind, the notion of secular Buddhism is an oxymoron. There is no such thing. If it's secular, it's not Buddhism. If by secular you want to eviscerate or take out all the bones of contention that are not acceptable from a materialistic framework, you're perfectly welcome to do that, but why on earth call it Buddhism? You know. So I don't think secular Buddhism 
is meaningful. It's, it, it's an oxymoron. It's just people displaying their prejudices and still wanting to call their prejudices Buddhism. So if we consider those to be the core elements, and there's a lot of, a lot of consensus on this in multiple schools, Theravada, Zen, Tibetan Buddhism, Dzogchen, and so forth, then we can see that if that's, if that's the real structure, the core of Buddha Dharma, then if we look from that perspective, from the perspective of kind of this core Buddha Dharma, Pali Canon Buddha Dharma, you know, where there's a lot of consensus, then we can see, well, science, the scientific worldview with biology and net genetics, astronomy and all of these, these actually all make sense. The empirical facts, the true discoveries, the genuine discoveries of science actually make sense within this core framework, worldview of Buddhism. There's nothing there against, against evolution. There's nothing there against genetics, modern astronomy, atomic theory, quantum mechanics, space relativity theory, and so forth. It's not at all to suggest the absurd notion that all of these are already found in Buddhism. That's silly. So that would be just ridiculous fundamentalism. But it is to say there's nothing incompatible with these core features now, bearing in mind, Buddhism did grow up in, Buddha, in, in, in a culture, so it has certain cultural aspects to it. And as the Dalai Lama has said so many times, if science can demonstrate any assertion of Buddhism to be false by empirical evidence, then we'll take that seriously and we'll throw that out. So there it is. So that's absolute non-dogmatism, true empiricism. But genuine scientific empirical studies make really good sense within this core framework of Buddhism, Whereas the core framework of Buddhism, with its three levels of suffering, continuity of consciousness, karma, and so forth, that doesn't make any sense from the perspective of just modern science as it stands right now. It doesn't make any sense. There's no continuity of consciousness after death. There's no karma. There's no nirvana. They don't even have samadhi, although that doesn't, it's not so unsensible. And so the smaller one makes sense within the larger one. But the larger one doesn't make sense within the smaller one. And the reason for this is largely tied into methodology. And that is, if we confine the notion of science to, to methodologically to the scientific method of looking externally to the objective, the physical, and the quantifiable, then of course you're going to come up with a materialistic worldview out of that. You can't help it. What else would you do? You're looking at objective, physical, quantifiable phenomena, then your world will be objective, physical, and quantifiable. <laughs> That's kind of tautological. And Buddhism is not confined to that straitjacket because we take first-person perspective and mental perception equally, if, even if not more important, than sensory or the information we get from technological instruments. So the smaller worldview, frankly, of science makes sense within the larger worldview of Buddha Dharma, core Buddha Dharma, Pali Canon. And then if we go to Mahayana, now the perfection of wisdom, the Bodhisattva ideal, pure lands, and so forth and so on, all of the core teachings of the Pali Canon make sense within the Mahayana framework. They make sense. Yeah, gotcha. But the, the Prajnaparamita, the Diamond Sutra, and the Pure Lands, and the Buddha Nature, and so forth, they don't make sense from the Pali Canon. They don't make any sense. Well, that, this is heretical. Now we have to refute this. We don't have evidence for this. It doesn't make sense. So Shravakayana makes sense from Mahayana perspective. Mahayana perspective doesn't make sense from Shravaka. Then we go to Vajrayana, it's the same thing. The, the Sutrayana, the Bodhisattvayana, and Mahayana makes very good sense from Vajrayana perspective. But the Vajrayana perspective, with pure vision, and all of that, divine pride, that doesn't make any sense 
from straight Mayana perspective. And then if we go to Dzogchen, all of the receding, all of the lower nine yanas in the Nyingma tradition, including the Shravaka yana, Bodhisattva yana, the three outer, outer, outer tantras, three inner tantras, all of those make perfectly good sense from the perspective of Dzogchen. But if we're looking from straight stage regeneration and stage completion practice, from that perspective, Dzogchen doesn't make any sense. And then say, oh, woolly thinking, mumbo-jumbo, oh, we don't believe this. So, Russian dolls. And we call Dzogchen, I, I go along with the general translation of the great perfection. But another translation that's equally accurate and might actually be a bit more revealing is the great encompassment. The great encompassment. It encompasses science. And there's an enormous amount of knowledge you'll get in science that you don't find in the Zokin literature. So again, we're not going a ridiculous fundamentalist route. But it does encompass it. It encompasses all the lower yanas, and yet it brings another dimension to it. And of course, the whole notion of mind treasures and the treasure teachings and so forth. Uh, that also, if, if not it's not unique to Dzogchen but it is quite extraordinary. So, big picture, small picture, weaving them in, okay? Whenever we try to invert, like some people nowadays with secular Buddhism wanting to just take an ax out and just hack off any part of Buddhism that doesn't fit within a scientific framework and does not conform to met uh, the metaphysical principles of materialism, then they call that secular Buddhism. But what they try to do is take a larger view and chop it off amputate limb after limb after limb until it fits into the smaller worldview and call that secular Buddhism. And similarly, people who really like the Shravagayana may then hack off big chunks of Mahayana that they don't like and they'll call that, what, Hinayana Mahayana? I don't know what they call it. But it's a mistake to invert. It's a mistake to invert. And if you don't see the bigger picture, that's fine. Then just stay with a smaller picture. But to deny the bigger picture just because you can't accept it or you don't see evidence from your limited perspective, that's a crucial error. So scientifically, if one says, oh, we don't see any evidence for continuity of consciousness after death, of course you don't. You're looking at objective, quantifiable, physical phenomena. Why would you expect to see any continuity? You have to look at consciousness for that, and have to look in depth and break through the psyche. You're not going to do that by studying the brain or behavior. So the crucial point that Dalai Lama makes, Dharmakirti makes, and so forth, is merely not seeing something doesn't mean it doesn't exist. That's crucial. Oh, Lasso, let's jump in. Mindful as a breathing.
Settle your body in its natural state, imbued with the three qualities, striking the balance between a deepening of relaxation and the maintenance of vigilance in posture. Settle your respiration in its natural rhythm. Effortlessly breathing out, effortlessly breathing in. Unconstrained, as effortless as if you were deep asleep. And for a little while, letting your awareness permeate the whole field of the body. Release your concerns, hopes, and fears about the past and future. Settle your mind in a state of ease, in stillness in the present moment, clearly illuminating the sensations of the breath wherever they most distinctly manifest throughout the body.
without an ever-deepening sense of relaxation, there will be no robust stability. Without robust stability, there will be no enduring vividness that can be sustained. So now in the synergy of all three qualities, relaxation, stillness, and vividness, elevate and more narrowly focus your attention to the tactile sensations at the apertures of the nostrils. Seeing that all of the muscles of your face remain soft and relaxed, your eyes unfocused, forehead spacious, open. And gently but relentlessly ease and arouse the, atten the tension of the mind as you arouse and focus your attention, concentrate with each inhalation. And with each exhalation, deeply relaxing and yet sustaining the ongoing flow of mindfulness, of the ongoing flow of sensations of the breath at the apertures of the nostrils. If on any occasion you don't detect any sensations of the breath, Keep your attention right there where it was. Attend to whatever sensations do arise, with or without the breathing. And attend closely. And perhaps you'll detect the increasingly subtle sensations of the breath as it subsides in volume. Count the breaths to the extent that you find it helpful. And intermittently apply introspection to the body, to the breathing, and to the mind to see that each one is sustained in its natural state. And let's continue practicing now in silence.
Mă las eu. Enjoy your day.